Um, and listening to Gavin Newsom, I was surprised at how much I believed him. I believed <laughs> that he was like, we could do this. We have to do this. We're going to do something about it. Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, dad and housing journalist with Cal Matters, And I'm Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles Times. And today on the podcast, a deeper dive into uh, Governor Gavin Newsom's housing budget with special attention to... The missing middle. Mm, where is it? Where is it? I don't know. That's the I'm problem. certainly not living in it. Me neither. We're going to drill down into Newsom's proposals to build housing for moderate income Californians, uh, whether that comes at the expense of housing for lower income Californians. But it's not just Newsom in this game. Who else we got? We got the tech bros. We got the tech bros. So who, <laughs> who, who specifically? Uh, really, everybody in Silicon Valley. Um, so that this is part of the deal, as Newsom's talking about um, ensuring or uh, having Silicon Valley companies contribute um, a large sum of money to helping to alleviate this problem as well. Half a billion dollars, possibly. That's right. And for our guests, we have today... Tyrone Buckley, who's the policy director at Housing California, a housing advocacy organization at the Capitol. Uh, and we'll be talking with Tyrone about um, all of Newsom's budget proposals, how they're different from years past under Governor Jerry Brown, and what he thinks about uh, how we can solve all our state's housing problems. We'll also be talking with him about um, SB 50, Senator Weiner's bill to upzone around transit. Um, his organization opposed SB 827 last year. Yeah, the, the, uh, the precursor to, to SB 50. Yes. But first... The most popular segment in all of California housing podcastery. Avocado of the Fortnite. And this one is a early contender for uh, Avocado of the Year, it's, I would say. It's an incredible one. It is it is beautiful in many ways. Yes. And also shows the creeping cultural influence of one Liam Dillon. Ah, well, we already knew this. This is just a stamp on it. Yes, and yeah. I mean that in the most nefarious and ominous way possible. <laughs> um Take us to Willow Glen, which is a neighborhood in San Jose, which has actually been featured in a previous avocado of the Fortnite. Must have trees everywhere, avocado trees everywhere. That's all I can think of from why this is such a popular avocado place. No, it was the <laughs> uh, burned down home Ooh. that sold for half a million dollars. No, that sold for nine hundred thousand dollars. Excuse me. Yes. Anyway, take us to the take us to the avocado. So we have a landlord, David Kalish, in San Jose, a studio rent, studio apartment for rent behind his home. And here's uh, how David describes his tenants. Basically, quote, I've got two renters that don't have opposable thumbs. It's actually great. They're very quiet, obviously. The only problem is they stink up the place. Mm, cryptic. Very, well, cryptic. I agree. Well, we don't know what type of... Who are these tenants? <laughs> Matt, I'm here to tell you these tenants are cats. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them, their names mm -hmm. Tina and Louise. Uh, they're owned by a friend from, of from David's. From Bob's Burgers, for any fans of yes, good owned, show. owned by a friend of David's who needed a place for his daughter's cats after the daughter went away to college, and the daughter could not bear to part with Tina and Louise. And how much are Tina and Louise paying for the privilege of living in the uh, granny flat um, in Willow Glen? This is the avocado part of this. I think all, the fact that <laughs> cats have their own apartment, basically, is also avocado-y. But please, this is even more avocado-y. So, $1,500 a month in rent. <laughs> See, this, this is the type of thing where, like, 
explain this to someone in the Midwest, and yes, California is insane. Yes. It's insane. It's, yeah. $1,500 a month in rent in Silicon Valley for a cat apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw a lot of characterizations of this as peak Silicon Valley. Yeah. I, I don't know if I agree with that because I'm sure there's you know some penthouse in Manhattan right. that only Labradors right. are, are living in. Right, where they're, where they're 3D printing cats. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the apartment for the 3D printed cats. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of beautifully emblematic of yeah. the absurdity of both Silicon Valley culturally yeah. um, and the housing crisis there, of course, and yeah. – um, the creeping cultural influence of yeah. one Liam Dillon. What am I referring to? So the landlord, David Kalish, uh, according to the story in the Mercury News, where we got this wonderful uh, avocado item, uh, pops into the granny unit, which he calls the casita, every day to feed and play with the cats. So casita there used. And Matt, are you ready for this? I'm going to do it. Are you ready? It's going to happen. Okay. Have you, you've been waiting for this, I know. I have no idea. Go ahead. I don't know if they should call it the casita. Oh my god, the catsita. Maybe it's a catsita. Mm. Mm. Um, I did it. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> I am glad it's used in this context as opposed to like a uh housing and community development state department report that uses casita. But if it's for cats living in Willow Glen, I think that makes sense on some level. Um I can't wait until the cats are late on their rent and they have to evict the cats. <laughs> and like, the, like, is there rent control? There's not. There's not rent control. Not I don't control. They Do they the, have to? They put the scratching post out on the street. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Oh man. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, uh, a great avocado. Right. Of. Yes. Perfectly ripe. To, to our first avocado of the fortnight, actually, for the year. So I don't know if it can get any better. It's tough. Fifteen hundred. That is more than I am paying for my apartment here in Sacramento. Me too. Um, and please do not move to Sacramento, <laughs> especially for cats. Yes, keep spe- them out. Yes. Well, the cats I'd take more than, um, <laughs> let's say, Dropbox employees, unless they want to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on to our main topic, which is a deeper dive into uh, Governor Newsom's budget with special attention towards the missing middle. If you want, we did an emergency podcast two weeks ago, last week, two weeks ago, looking at uh, a bunch of other things in the budget. We recommend you listen to that. But first, what is the missing middle? What, what's the issue here? Yeah. So, um, so that's that's a good question. Um, I think this is question has become more um, uh, sort of uh, acute in over the past decade as housing costs have risen. Where you know we talk about the housing crisis, and it should we should be clear, there's long been a housing crisis for the poorest among us, right? Poorest get you know in in, in California. But yes. as this problem has gotten bigger, it's you know, and enveloped groups that typically used to be able to afford to live without serious problems here. And we're talking, you know, teachers and firefighters, policemen, you know, those sorts of folks. And there's not enough housing um, for these folks to be able to live comfortably, to be able to live without sort of being burdened by rent, being able to afford a house, these sorts of things that in Californians of uh, uh, of California of your uh, was a thing that was available. Yes. Right? And so that kind of housing, not the housing for the 
you know, uber wealthy, uh, you know, uh, tech engineer and not the housing for the, you know, uh, poor uh, fast food worker. Um, this is the housing for your what traditionally would be considered middle class professions. And this is a type of housing um, which the market as of late particularly underserves. Now, the- and, and particularly in sort of your Bay Area, L.A., real, the highest cost areas of the state. Exactly. Yeah. The market isn't really serving it well, and it doesn't really have that doesn't really have public funding streams to subsidize it. Right. Although that may be changing. Right. So this is a, a pretty big portion of what the governor is proposing is this sort of a, a, a large subsidy towards uh, directed towards this population. He's talking about um, a $500 million um, outlay in the budget towards uh, home loans uh, or loans to developers, rather, is a better way to put it, um, to help build this kind of housing. Yeah. And that's a lot. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. Um, and something we really haven't seen before, certainly in, under the Brown administration. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it's not only that, too. The, there's some ambiguity uh, around some other aspects of Newsom's proposals. But um, if you listen to the podcast from a couple of weeks ago, I made a big deal about um, increased funding for the low-income housing tax credit, right. which is kind of the lifeblood of uh, financing for affordable developments for low-income folks. A portion of that will be reserved for people at a higher income tier than what is traditionally served by uh, the low-income housing tax credit. So right. it... What that income tier is, it, it's there seems to be some confusion a little bit about it. Right. Um, but that could also be classified as more of a missing middle uh, proposal um, than what we're typically used to. Yeah. So just to, two quick points on this. One, um, I think if you think about this in, in broad terms, in, encompassing the, the money that you just referenced, the tax credit mm-hmm. money you referenced, we could be talking like $700 million directed towards this sort of broad population um, of a broad range of income levels, but not the poorest, right? Um, and just to give people a context for generally speaking, when we talk about you know, moderate income housing, you know what what population we're talking yes. about you you when i pulled the numbers there are numbers that is put out and i don't want to get too deep into this but there are numbers that are put out by uh, the federal government and the state government follows it but for los angeles for a family of four uh generally speaking we're talking about those that family making no more than uh, $83,000 a year mm-hmm. so that just gives you some context for the kind of population that we're talking about yes which is higher than the median household income for the state right yes. mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. So it and it varies by region. a lot by region, right? That's right. right. Um, and you know that means that the public sector might, in some cases, will be financing uh, under Newsom's proposals housing for some families that might make more than six figures. That's right. Yes, um, mm-hmm. which is done in other ways currently by the federal government, right? right? With the mortgage interest deduction. That's right. Um, and certainly renters don't really see that. That benefit materialized for them, right? Um, but it does. It begs this interesting question of why? Why should? Why is this a priority? Right. And I think that that leads nicely into what the governor would say is the reason why it's a priority is because 
he believes he can get matching dollars uh, from Silicon Valley companies in particular. Um, he's talked about that multiple times. Um, he said uh, in his budget presentation, and, th- and this you know, uh, dovetails, I think, with sort of this idea that tech companies have in some ways exacerbated right, the housing crisis that we have. And, and I, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of um, uh, debate over how sort of fair that is, right? Um, but I think that there is a lot of feeling among the public. They see these new jobs come in and these new jobs come in for that are particularly high income and they see housing prices go up in their communities and they see a correlation between those two things. Right. And I think certainly there yeah, is not just not just a correlation. Also, right. you see uh, jobs created without matching housing. Exactly. Being built. So exactly. That, I mean, that's more kind of direct mathematical formulation that results in higher prices. Totally. And I guess what I'm trying to stay away from like saying it's like jo- these jobs are bad, right? Um, yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, economic and it's not growth as simplistic, is good, right? Yes. Yeah, as, right. yeah. 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 Go ahead. So, so anyway, um, that sort of public sentiment plus the idea of, um, you know, uh, having these companies sort of, quote unquote, give back in some way uh, as a result of, uh, of the wealth that's being created for them and, and the housing problems that are coming as a result. Newsom talked about this during his budget presentation. He said um, the the work, and he's talking specifically about Silicon Valley tech companies, and he's saying, quote, the workforce housing issues have been exacerbated by the, by the success of a lot of these companies. Uh, I do not begrudge other people's success, but that success is creating burdens and stress. And, and so um, he's proposing that uh, tech companies um, give uh, $500 million uh, in um, – uh, uh, low-interest loans to help build this kind of uh, middle-income housing. Um, which is interesting for a billion different reasons. Right. So let, let's kind of break this down from the, a tech company's perspective. Um, some, some organizations are already moving forward in this direction without prompting from uh, the political class, right? So Microsoft in Seattle. Right. Uh, that fi- it was five hundred million. Five hundred million for them, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so Microsoft has pledged five hundred million for housing in Seattle. Yeah, and this week we saw an announcement from the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation, which is obviously uh, there's Facebook money in there right. to do what? So uh, there's another five hundred million dollars that they're hoping to raise to do essentially the same thing. Um, Why help- is it always five hundred million? I don't know. It's a nice round number, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, uh, to sort of uh, concentrate on the Bay Area, um, but predominantly given Facebook's sort of face, if you will, on this, um, but probably te- you know a lot of tech money will be involved in and business m- money to essentially do the same thing um, and, and help you know facilitate um, you know the building of this kind of this kind of housing and housing in all income ranges, but also ranges up to this level as well. And so it's another sort of um, input we're seeing from. The tech industry um, on uh, you know in this space and in this here in California and I will say uh, uh, you know I have confirmed that um, the money that Newsom is talking about his 500 million is a different pot of money than what what Chan Zuckerberg is proposing. So it's a lot of money being floated. A lot of money. Yeah. 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 And, and to be clear, Newsom is saying I'm I the state want to put forward 500 million such that these companies will match it therefore we're going to have a billion dollars that we would not otherwise have for this space. Yeah, kind of similar to how um, state and federal funds might be paired sure. for for certain endeavors, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, there's a lot a lot of interesting wrinkles to this. Yeah. Let, let's talk about the incentives of um the the tech companies to do this, right? There's an obvious economic incentive in terms of uh, retaining talent 
for price housing prices to drop in the Bay Area, right? So it it is definitely in Google's interest, Facebook's interest, Apple's interest, because especially for like middle management yeah. positions, people who aren't making six figures, or even if they are making six right. figures, right. it goes a lot farther in other states where their competitors might be, right? Yeah. Which begs the question, why aren't we taxing them right. as opposed to asking them to match funding out of their own goodwill? Right. So this is, I mean, it, it's kind of weird. Like, I think, like, I, I'm, like, I'm comfortable calling it that. It's just a weird way to do this. Um, uh, you're right. Like, this is not a tax. This is sort of a voluntary, some sort of voluntary donation. It's uh, still unclear, by the way. Like, Newsom has not released details of what this would exactly look like, so we still don't know things about this. But, you know, um, uh, it's not like tech companies don't have business before the state other than uh, housing. I mean, there's huge regulation, privacy regulations, mm-hmm. all sorts of regulations the state has. And so, you know, when you give money to a political campaign, for instance— there often there are limits, right, uh, on how much you can give, and often there are just and almost always there are disclosure rules as to how, as telling the public that you know this this is how much was given, right? Um, you know when when you give money or when politicians solicit money from companies to give to nonprofits, that also has to be disclosed. And this is this weird thing that it's unclear exactly what it is. And you know I talked I did a story on this, um, talked to a, a, a sort of government ethics watchdog uh, group who said, well. I think the public might rightfully be concerned about what the tech companies might want in return in exchange for their donation that uh, doesn't seem like there are many rules that would allow us to understand, allow us the public to understand how much was given by whom and when. And that's a, that's a, with, a tech, with a tax, for instance, you don't have any of those problems. Um, so there's lots of examples of private enterprises and public sector money commingling for some type of uh, greater endeavor, right? Yeah. You see this a lot with infrastructure. That's right. Um, how would this be different? How would this be more ethically problematic than that? Uh, I, well, I, again, I think we'll have to see what the exact details of this are, mm-hmm. right? Um, but often, I mean, with those sort of what are public-private partnership stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are usually contracts. I mean, you usually, I mean, they're usually things that are very clear and yeah, transparent some type of about. competitive bidding process. Exactly, sometimes. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, I want to note that when again, when I did the story, I spoke with uh, Carl Guardino, who is the head of a, a key sort of Silicon Valley um, business group, who said, "Yeah, tax would be bad. <laughs> this is a better way of doing this because, in his view, you basically, if you were doing a tax, you might, you know, wrap up companies that might be just starting out or these sorts of things that cannot afford uh, to give this kind of money uh, the same way your face." books or your Googles or your Apples could. Yeah, and I think even more than that, politically, it is much easier to sell to the tech companies. Yeah. Hey, uh, why don't you give us some money voluntarily as right. opposed to face the uh, tsunami of opposition you might find right. um, for a tax, right? We saw that a little bit with Prop C in San Francisco. Exactly, yeah. Um, let's talk about the, the geographic nature of this, which I think is not, people aren't really talking about. Yeah. Newsom specifically referenced the Bay Area, the Silicon right. Valley, as the source of this money. Right. There is a missing middle in Los Angeles. Right. There's a missing middle in San Diego. Right. Why aren't firms there being asked to to pony up in the same way? Why Why is there only a concentration on the Bay? 
Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. That's yeah, a, it's, it's a, a good it's question. It's a good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, look, obviously, like the 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 it wealth. It is most and, acute there. It was acute there. Also, the the economic growth. I mean, that you know, the state. Re- I mean, the state relies on the Bay Area for its as its economic engine, right? I mean, that's the that's the predominant place that the state gets money and where the economic growth has been over the past decade. But it is not like you know, like yeah. not like the economy of L.A. or San Diego is not good. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Or at yeah. least not um, a necessity for state coffers. Totally. Totally. And it's unclear, um, you know, is this money only going to go towards missing middle in the Bay Area mm-hmm. and other, versus other places? I don't know. Especially since, as we as we mentioned, there's there is a separate five hundred million dollar effort um, dedicated that the Zuckerberg money dedicated just towards issues in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. I, I It's that that criticism that what's coming out of Sacramento seems incredibly Bay Area focused in one way or another. Right. This just seems to lend even more to that. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. I think there's another key issue with this that we should we should make sure to mention, and that is prioritization, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, so uh, $500 million in state money for housing subsidy towards this population means $500 million less in state money uh, for uh, housing subsidy towards a lower income population, right? Do, does it mean that, or does it mean five hundred million less towards something else in the budget? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right. Um, this particular issue was called out um, by the legislative analysts um, in its initial review of Newsom's budget proposal by saying, um, you know, uh, uh, the legislature and the quote was, you know, the, there's a limited, basically, the context is a limited amount of money available for housing in the in that state has. And the legislature may want to consider, the report said, whether it prefers to target the state's limited housing resources towards the Californians most in need of housing assistance instead of this, um, you know, again, towards, towards, towards higher but not high income folks. And I think the response from the governor would be to this, well, look, um, we're going to get a billion dollars, not just 500 million, we're going to get this match. So we're going to get a billion dollars for this. Is it better to have, in his view, better to have a billion dollars than nothing, right? Yeah. Um, even if you were reprioritized the state money somewhere else. Yeah. You know, we are we know for context to subsidize, potentially subsidize our way out of the problem for just the poorest Californians, it would take a budget allocation in the order of magnitude to what it co- costs to subsidize health care for poor Californians, right? Just a billions, tens of billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. To try to extend that even higher, I mean, we're talking like hundreds, hundreds of billions of dollars, mm-hmm. right? And just, so I just... It's tough for me to imagine a world in which that is a possibility, mm-hmm. you know. And so that means that means the market has to do it. And if your market can't do it, then this is an extremely valuable population to make sure your economy runs. And if you can't, if your market can't do it, you can't stop such a way out of it. There's no, there's no good answer here. And so I, I think the attention focused on this is good and meaningful and a, a sincere concern. Um, for the reasons you know, you know, I just talked about the reasons reasons you've raised, mm-hmm. but I don't know like how you actually get to a solution here. You deregulate processes to allow for more home building, and to, for for to get to a point where it's going to help middle income it people, takes a lot could of time. take a long time. Yeah, that's that's the issue. Plus, but but you try to do it from the other end. You subsidize your way towards it. You and have a finite resources. Finite resources, and this is a, a tremendous amount of money you know and so this might be sort of the nut of the um kind of the hardest problem to solve in only in the sense that you either way it's going to take a long time either an extremely long amount of time 
or an extremely large amount of money. And let's take a step back to compare what the reality is for middle-income folks now versus what it was 20, 30 years ago. We're talking about additional money to build subsidized apartment units for people making a family making $80,000 a year. Right. 30 years ago, that family owned a home. Yep. They were saving for a home and then they bought a home. Right. Right. It's right. the reality is it's, it in a way it highlights how insane the state's housing prices have become. Yep. Um okay, anything else on uh the missing middle or what's in Newsom's budget? No, I think I'm going to be really anxious to see um, going forward, A, of course, as we've referenced the details of the Silicon Valley plan, I think that will be super interesting. Yes. Also, how it will interact with all the other sort of Silicon Valley money, the Zuckerberg money reference, those, those sorts of things, number one. And number two, how the legislature reacts to this. Is the legislature going to say, uh, that's great. Like Certainly, we'd love if, if uh, Uber and Facebook gave us $500 million, but for our purposes, we're going we're gonna to re- redirect the money to those who may need it more. All right. And with that, let's talk with Tyrone Buckley from Housing California. We're here with Tyrone Buckley, who is the policy director for Housing California. Tyrone, thanks for being here. Happy to be here, fellas. So why don't we start? uh, Why don't you tell us what Housing California is? Sure. Uh, Housing California is a statewide housing advocacy organization. Been around for about 40 years. We're actually going to have our 40th year um, celebration at our conference this year, which is going to happen on tax day on April 15th. Um, And so we've been doing advocacy in the Capitol, um, trying to influence the legislature and the state agencies on housing policy, focused on affordable housing finance, trying to get more funding for affordable housing, um, trying to focus on affordable housing uh, land use issues, trying to create more spaces and communities for affordable housing, and finally on homelessness. And so we have two um, lobbyists. I'm one of the two. I focus on finance and land use. And then we have Chris Martin, our homeless policy advocate. Um, I get this question a lot. How do you define affordable housing? I define... I'm always a little baffled at that question, honestly. Um, I mean... I think it makes more sense now that it's very clear that the affordable housing crisis is impacting such a broad swath of Californians. But the way we define it as an organization is folks who are experiencing um, who are experiencing uh, housing instability where they have to pay more or I'm sorry, they pay more than um, 30 percent of their income. And we focus on housing cost burden. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, um, you know, folks who um, make 50 percent and below of area mean income are the, the policies we try to focus on the most. So, uh, budget day uh, this month. Budget comes out. Give me like like the first utterance that came out of your mouth when you saw the numbers that were in there. Um, well, I mean, I was happy. You know, I mean, yeah. this it's a sea change, right? I mean, we um, have been you know, hanging out with Jerry Brown for the last eight years. And it's it's been really challenging, I think, except for that last legislative session. So to see, I mean, the numbers were impressive, but honestly, it was the vocabulary mm. and the hope mm. with which the new governor spoke about the housing crisis, um, talking about it in such a way where he talked about it as like a solvable problem, something we need to get serious about, um, you know, getting so serious about it and leveraging transportation dollars, which has been something the housing community has been talking about for a long time. Um, so it was just, I think the dollars were astonishing, but really just the language and the seriousness with which the topic was being discussed was even more jarring and what, made me very happy. What what jumped out to you the most in terms of the specific proposals that he had? Well, um, 
I mean, I think it's easy for Housing California to answer that in that um, one of the proposals we've been working towards for a very long time showed up in the budget, and we saw that um, forecasted a bit in this platform, an expansion of the housing, uh, the California Housing Tax Credit Program right. um, mm-hmm. by $500 million. Um, as I think you all know, we've been running a bill for, I think, gosh, four consecutive four consecutive bills, three consecutive sessions, um, trying to get an expansion of the tax credit program by $300 million. Um, Governor Brown was always um, against it because he didn't want to see the uh, revenue hit that that would uh, take. Right. So we were really happy to see that in the budget. Um, it has a it has a slight change in that the um, expansion past three hundred million is a new tax credit program that's aimed at developments that focus on sixty to eighty percent. And so it's an idea we hadn't really fully explored. So we want to talk sixty to eighty percent of area median income. That's right. Right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Which are people are a little wealthier than some of the the uh, populations that you most heavily advocate for. Right. Right. Um, And so um, we want to find out, you know, sort of what the thinking is there and what problem they seek to solve and and doing it that way. But um, we're we're really pleased to see the tax credit in there because it's been a long term goal of ours. Do you you worry about. So I made a pretty big deal of uh, the new money for the low income housing tax credit in our like initial analysis of the budget that we did um, on our last episode. But the the efficacy of that program in many ways has been reduced by Trump's tax plan, right? So could you talk a little bit more about that? Like, yes, this is a big deal. This is a lot of money, but um, is it going to be less effective than it was two or three years ago? I don't know that it'll be less effective than it was two or three years ago. It'll probably be less effective at pulling down federal funds. It's unclear exactly how, you know, how much it'll impact the ability to get developments built, um, but it definitely will it's very likely to affect um, how we pull down the state funding, which is really important. I mean, when we used to work on this bill, we would often talk about how it would pull down um, 600 to 900 billion dollars a year from, or yeah, billion dollars a year from six to nine billion dollars. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, like, wow, <laughs> wow, <laughs> I'm gonna solve the whole problem. Um, my billion and millions. Right, here. right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but pull down a significant amount of uh, funding from uh, the federal government. I think that's certainly in question now. And, and I know that we're sort of talking about this sounds very wonky, but I yes. think we should we should make clear this is the primary way that low income housing is funded, not only in California but across the country at this point. Right, I yeah. think that that's certainly true. But yeah. you know, we also have our, our big investment that yeah. comes from from what the voters did with uh, props one and two. So yeah. um, we have a little bit more to leverage, and I think uh, uh, it's a little easier for us to answer this question now as a state and figure out how we're going to still get developments done in light of the federal context. Uh, so, so um, what's the thing interesting to me about how the negotiation process is going to go, not only with the budget, but with some policy, and this is an interesting contrast with how Governor Brown handled this, but the money was always at the end for Governor Brown, right? Mm-hmm. There was always, well, maybe you want to do this policy, or if, if money was available at all, yeah. it was going to be tied to some sort of policy change or some sort of larger thing. Right. Um, and and sort of the money was the issue that would put everybody over the line, right, to say mm-hmm. yes, right? And here, the money's coming at the outset, right? Like, so what? how do you think the fact that there's sort of you've already gotten or already been put, all the monies for, 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 for low-income housing has been put on the table, um, how will that change, do you think, negotiations uh, on housing issues in the budget and also going forward with, with policy issues throughout the year? I mean, I think you're right. You know, in previous years, we've seen a lot of leveraging right. between policy issues, priorities of the governor versus maybe priorities of the larger housing community, um, and maybe even you know different bills like SB 35. I think got caught in this during the housing package too. I just think the politics have changed a bit. Um, I don't think that um, 
because we don't have a governor who's so unwilling to address the broader housing crisis, um, we don't have to have that kind of leveraging discussion. Um, I think also, too, I think the conversation about the, um, you know, the approaches that are around streamlining has evolved in the capital. And so it wasn't, I don't think it was ever a dynamic that advocates are trying to set up, yeah. but mm-hmm. one that was really generated through Jerry Brown. And mm-hmm. so um, with him out of the picture, I just don't think that's going to be the same dynamic. And, you know, I think it's it's better too, right? It's better than we're dealing with abundance and making the right decisions rather than trying to make some sort of trade-off that we didn't come to the table for that trade-off mm-hmm. necessarily. So you don't think Newsom loses any leverage by introducing all this money this early in the process? I don't think so. Um, okay. I don't. I don't think that. Um, I don't think that. For instance, I don't think like for instance any of the land use policies, um, or even the um, the housing element reforms that he speaks about sort of broadly in the budget. Yeah. Um, I don't think they'd find themselves leveraged against any kind of funding. I don't think he'll find the kind of. Um, resistance and because that was really a conversation all that leveraging before was a conversation within the group of people who wanted to address the housing crisis yeah um and this is this is just has a whole different kind of thing so i just don't think that i just don't think the the players are operating exactly the same way to create that kind of dynamic yeah you referenced the discussions about a housing element that's the sort of the formal name for the state's um housing supply goals that it comes out with and, and gives to every community to ensure enough land is zoned for uh sort of housing at all income levels. What's your, and he, uh, Newsom in his speeches and also on the campaign trail has talked about dramatically reforming that process. How do you evaluate the the housing supply goal process now and what sort of changes would you like to see? Um, You know, we're a little unclear um, as to what uh, Governor Newsom's imagining on this side at this point. Um, You know, we've seen um, some pretty significant changes to housing element law in the last few years. So um, it's, I I think our community, and I'll say for myself, I should should really only speak for myself. Um, (laughs) I'd say I'd like to see some of those policies play out, right? I think HCD is um, entering a new housing element cycle. We have to see how some of those changes play out. So um, I'm interested in seeing... Um, you know, how all that's going to affect um, the kind of sites that we see identified, the kinds of um, long-term, you know, housing element outcomes we're going to see. Do you, but, do you think the numbers need to be higher? Right. Yeah. Um, so for a specific city or for, you know, the state overall, do you think um, the, the requirement that the state imposes in terms of the number of new units that need to be built, does that need to be higher? I haven't really focused on that. I focused more on... Um, the inequity of where housing gets cited in within communities within that and making mm-hmm. sure that as those numbers come down from right. the state that they're not just all getting pushed especially low income numbers into particular communities or right. all the numbers getting pushed out of communities that are aiming to exclude exclude all types of housing what what do you think in along this mm-hmm. veins what do you think about the governor's plan to have three and a half million uh, homes built between now and 2025. Is that doable? And and do you think that that's the where our energy should be directed? Um, well, as an organization, we focus more on the number that ACD puts out, which is the 1.5 million shortage of homes we have for people who are at 50% or below of area median income. So that's just sort of how we think about it. So right. I think that three... 3.5 million right. is more comes out of the uh, McKin- McKinsey, McKinsey um, study, yeah. study yeah. that was really looking, I think, at the broader That's right. uh, housing yeah. affordability challenge we have in mm-hmm. the state. So we focus more on that. I really like that we're setting long-term goals. You know, I mean, it's always been kind of jarring to me that we live in a state where we are really confident that we can address 
global climate change with our policies and have just, under, at least under Jerry Brown, really seemed reluctant to believe that we could have any impact on housing our most vulnerable citizens. So I think I like to see that framework built in. And yeah. I think that's sort of the shift I see in what he's done there. He said, you know, we're going to meet some benchmarks in the same way we do with climate change over time so we can demonstrate that we're doing better on the problem. So, I mean, that framework we're really encouraged by. So speaking of that, yeah. uh, there was a lot of a- attention in Newsom's budget and also during his TED Talk presentation of the budget <laughs> um, on moderate income housing and middle income housing, the the so-called missing middle, does does attacking that problem come at the expense of what you're trying to do with lower income Californians? I don't think it has to. Um, you know, um, I think that we've gotten attention on the housing crisis because um, folks who weren't low income have begun to feel it. I would say um, yeah, that's 100% <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, we, we were in the Capitol, um, you know, beating the drum uh, for years. And right. it wasn't until they started getting calls from their constituents who were policemen or teachers or other middle income people that people were like, what are we going to do about this? Right. Right. Um, so um, we recognize it as, a, as an issue that truly needs to get addressed. Um, I think you can run into some conflict between the policies, but I absolutely don't think, I think you don't have to, right? Yeah. Um, you know, thinking about, you know, if, if it is a market-based approach and thinking about how um, it's going to change a community, making sure that, A, as that community grows, right, because that's what we anticipate, it's going to grow, it's going to get more resources, more people are going to come, Um Making sure there's a place for you know the low wage workers that live there or um, the existing community that lives there now. So making sure there are displacement provisions, making sure there are ongoing affordability requirements. So to to make this in, into a more specific question, um, there's 500 million dollars uh, reserved in in the budget for uh, middle income home loans yeah. uh, through the Cal HFA. Um, Newsom has said very explicitly he's done that such that uh, Silicon Valley uh, companies will match that with their own 500 million dollars in home loans. And so you get a get a billion dollars, but you you read the legislative analyst um, analysis of the budget proposal and it and it made the point very clear. Um, we as a state should consider whether giving five hundred million dollars to middle income um, mm-hmm. housing uh, that's five hundred million dollars doesn't go to the poorest. Um, so and, and and just to clarify. Yeah. Uh, home loans, by by that you really mean loans to developers to produce mixed income housing, but yeah. not so much getting a, a loan to buy a, a house right. in West Sacramento. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so the question then uh, is, w- 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 how do you evaluate that $500 million number, particularly in the context of what the legisl- legislative analyst said in terms of trade-offs? Yeah, I mean, that's something that came to mind for us, too. Yeah. Uh, I think the challenge is that I think that program is relatively new. Yeah. Um, and so um, we don't know. I don't think we have real clarity on its performance so far. And so we don't know how well it's done at perform at, at producing um, you know, low-income units versus middle-income units or moderate-income units. Um, so I think we're going to be looking at how that program has been performing um, and see you know, how much of that $500 million investment will actually go to low-income people. But I will say that, um, you know, we believe in things like inclusionary housing because it puts low-income people in diverse communities. And so the whole approach of making sure that you have mixed incomes in a community is something we support very much. Um, but the question of how we invest at a time when our crisis is so high for folks struggling the most in California right. is a question. So we will be looking at that program trying to figure out you know, how much of this is going to go to the challenges that we look at the most. 
Um, Liam used to have a rule against acronyms, which I thought was excessive. But, but, um, he, but he, he, he has yet to invoke it. You have yeah. yet to invoke it in this uh, area. It would be, be just too much. We'd have to stop every two seconds. So, <laughs> so I'm doing really poorly, not yeah, really well. well. it's just like, <laughs> you know, all right. Yeah, I was we're, waiting yeah, for Liam yeah, to just, invoke the I rule. I was just like, man, this is going to, this is really going to. I agree. Yeah, it's yeah. impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you did a good job on the housing element thing that I didn't unpack at all. So thank you. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Mm, mm, um, <laughs> Matt doesn't like complimenting. So that was that. That was that reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's how I was raised. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about uh, one of the other elements elements of Newsom's budget that got a, lo- a lot of attention, which is this big thorny stick of we're going to take away your transportation funding mm-hmm. if you don't meet your housing goals. And you earlier in this conversation, you had outlined some concern about, well, um, we want to see how they're actually going to revamp these housing goals that cities are supposed to meet. My question is, do you think it's an actual, we've been characterizing this as a big, thorny, punitive stick. Are some cities not going to care? And and do you worry about that? Well, I mean, we've been thinking about it as a policy for a long time, at least as long as I've been engaged in housing, um, because local jurisdictions didn't care if they got housing money. Right. right? Um, right. So mm-hmm. if you're a recalcitrant district or, or jurisdiction that... Um, doesn't want to build any housing, telling you you're not going to get any money out of the housing pot doesn't do anything. And so we've always thought right. linking it to transportation money um, could be um, the thing that starts to generate action by uh, these these exclusionary jurisdictions. So um, we've we haven't dug deep on it though. I don't think you know. I don't think we've looked really closely at how that plays out. Um, but we know it'll be a better stick than housing money for right. you know communities that don't want to build. Um, some folks in the transportation sector have reached out to us because Housing California does a lot of cross sectoral work, and we collaborate a lot with folks in the environmental world, transportation world, other places. And um, they did point out that you know if we're going to focus on um, on leveraging those funds, let's make sure we're leverage, leveraging the funds that that push the other the state's goals, right? So, like, let's take the road money, not the active transportation money, right, or the bike right, lane money, or right. all these kinds of things. So, yeah. um, so I think that's something we'll be looking at and trying to make sure that we, you know, are protecting the kind of transportation interests that we want to see advance and that are part of making affordable housing successful. Just to kind of flesh this out even more, and don't worry, I'll, I'll edit this, uh, <laughs> but uh, if I'm Beverly Hills, which we pick on way too much in this podcast, but right. it's too good of an example, right? Um, you know, maybe I don't care so much about building affordable housing in my, uh, in my city, mm-hmm. um, but also, reputationally, I haven't historically been a huge fan of public transit in my city Mm -hmm. maybe my roads are already pretty nice um because i'm beverly hills um what do i care if i don't get transportation money i think it's it's likely there are going to be some holes for sure i don't think it'll be a you know one size fits all fix um but um there are a lot of folks who do care about their transportation funding and do you know rely on state funding to make sure that the potholes get filled and it doesn't just put pressure on you know on folks on that but you know on local electeds who have to solve these problems and have least less resources to solve them with so i don't know I, I i hear what you're saying i'm just not sure that that's um a reason to uh think that it won't be helpful in a broader sense across the state uh, let's change directions a little bit um 
last year, your organization and a lot of others in your community had a lot of concerns with Senator Weiner's bill SB 827, which would have increased uh, you know density significantly around transit stops all across the state. Uh, he's come back with a new version of the bill this year, SB 50. Uh, I'm curious if you could a outline what some of your concerns were with last year's approach, and whether you think, um, and then follow that with it. What do you think? What's been going on so far ameliorates those concerns. Um, so last year, I, I think for us organizationally, we really were focused on the affordability requirement. Um, we we had discussions with them about wanting to make sure that there was some affordability requirement so we could make sure that as communities change, uh, as 827 wanted them to, that there was still a place for, uh, for folks with low incomes. Um, and so we didn't really ever land on anything that was agreed upon there. And um, that bill moved really fast um, for such a big bill. Um, And so I think that that bill would have done a lot better to get introduced at the beginning of a two-year session as it is now um, and give us some more time to figure that out. Because I think what we really are looking at is some sort of of land land value recapture scheme that is um, that is aimed at making sure it makes sense for different communities so we're not just overlaying um, something that could potentially be um, harmful in some communities or really just kill production in some communities. Um, so that's something that um, we wanted to work with them on. We couldn't get to a great place on, on it with them and um, just didn't have very good discussions about the amendments that were coming out. Yeah. Um, we didn't really have a clear understanding of how those amendments would actually were, were aimed at addressing the problems that we were highlighting. Could, could you explain um, land value recapture yeah. to, a, to an eight-year-old? which is my level of intelligence for most of these things. <laughs> I mean, the basic idea is that um, when there's a zoning change, when there's streamlining, um, when there's a density increase, value is being conferred to a developer. They're going to make more money off of that development because of those changes. Because the value of the land is increasing. The land, the, it increases, but also you can get more units right, right on, on the piece of land, so right. you're going to make more money off of it. Right. So um, this, this vacant lot or that uh, was once worth, let's say, $100,000 with these policy changes. Well, zoned for single family, say, right? Now is a policy change to be zoned for 10 stories. Right. Yes. Now now it's worth $150,000, $200,000. Right. The local approval process has been streamlined. All these things add value. Yeah. Um, The idea behind land value recapture is that um, if we're going to confer that benefit on a developer, we should be seeking some sort of public benefit out of the developer. I think in some people's minds, housing at all is, um, even if it's, you know, luxury housing is um, a benefit conferred upon us by the developer, we think we can do better. We think if we're going to help um, the market rate developer um, gain such a benefit, we can get some um, things that we really need for the community, like affordable housing. And so that's sort of the scheme that we want to set up. And what's key in that scheme is to make sure that those two things match up. Right, that you're not extracting so much out of the developer that it makes it impar- impossible for the development to get built, um, but also to make sure that you're not um, getting so little from the developer that you really haven't found a balance in capturing some of the value that was conferred. Yeah. Does that work? That's that good. was that's good. That was okay. beautiful. That was really nice. That yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. Let's start here. SB 50, obviously, uh, pushed by these Yimbies, yes, in my backyard groups, who are now a uh, very vocal presence here in the capital and, and across have, the state. To ten staff members, I mean, they're really ramping up. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What do you think of the Yimbies? 
Um, I think that the Yimbies have, and I, I said this a little bit earlier, I, I think they've really highlighted a serious problem in the state, right? I mean, basically, the housing market is working for almost no one in California. And so um, I know that, and, you know, my experience with the Yimbies is relatively young, um, affluent folks who really can't figure out a way to make their way, don't see home ownership in their future. And they're like, this isn't, this isn't okay. And they see the lack of development as a what's put them in a pinch, right? Their parents' um, urban growth boundaries right. have led to a lack of building and housing, and they want to fix that. And so um, I think they really point out a significant problem, and I'm glad to see their advocacy on that issue. My only concern with them just rises where um, their approaches start to get described as um, things that could alleviate the crisis for folks who are 58% below of area median income. I mean, the idea that a market-based approach is going to really start to address the 1.5 million people who are at that level of poverty and, and housing instability in the state, we're very skeptical of. And so just, I think that's that's sort of when I get a little concerned, but yeah. as long as um, they're trying to address what we call the missing middle, I, I you know, Godspeed. Uh, SP50 then, let's get there. Yeah. Where, where, <laughs> sure. where, where are you folks now? Um, we have had much better discussions with the author's office this year. Um, we've been we've been able to engage um, the equity community that had a lot of concerns about this last year around displacement issues, around um, around affordability issues, and so um, we've we've had some really great discussions. And I think it's reflected in the bill in that there are placeholders around affordability and there are placeholders around addressing um, the um, I forget why I always forget the term of our sensitive communities that was right in the bill yeah um and so you know a placeholder saying we know we need to address this issue yeah um those are still unresolved though right and so um and those are really difficult and thorny topics on really which um organizations like yours or uh, many others may come out on the other side of that right as negotiations come through absolutely yeah absolutely um but um we're we're our goal is to go into this with a little more faith yeah. um, uh, to work uh, together to try to solve some of these things. Um, recognizing, I think, and you know, I don't know if the author or, or the um, proponents would, would characterize it this way, but I think we do have slightly different goals yeah. um, in, in what we're trying to address here. Um, and so let's figure out a way to find um, that, that, that sweet spot where we can say that we've addressed the missing middle, and we've also made sure we're not going to displace people. We've also made sure that we're going to create a place for low-income people in this community as it grows and thrives. All right. Anything else you yeah. want to tell us? Anything to tell our vast and engaged audience mm-hmm. on housing? Gosh. I feel like I'm at the end of an interview yep. and, and for a job interview and I didn't think of like a question to ask you guys. Uh, You're hired. Yeah. <laughs> the pay is horrible. Um, I think it's a really important time to get engaged, you know, to, to make sure that we're watching all of this. I mean, all of a sudden, if you've cared about affordable housing for the last 10 years or so, um, it's been easy to go, oh, we just didn't get anything again. But now we have a governor who wants to do something about it. I mean, um, in listening to Gavin Newsom, I was surprised at how much I believed him. I believed <laughs> that he was like, we could do this. We have to do this. We're going to do something about it. So, um, you know, this is the time to get engaged. This is the time to pay attention to make sure that the state and other folks are creating programs that address the problem in the way that we've never seen at least the governor's office serious about it before. 
Thank you for listening to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin. You can find me on Twitter at mlevinreports. Uh, me, Liam Dillon from the LA Times. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Dillon Liam. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.